Attention! This makes absolutely no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Xander's Facts. Hello, everybody. Welcome into the latest edition of the Xander's Facts podcast. I am, of course, the aforementioned Xander, and this is episode 7777 of the podcast here on Wednesday, October 5th. 2022. Thank you all for listening to a brand new edition of the Xander's Facts podcast. This is not no Xander's Facts flashback. I am back. I am feeling much better. Even though it may not sound like it in my voice, I am feeling much better. And this is a brand new episode of the Xander's Facts podcast, episode 77. This week, we are not officially one month away, but we are almost one month away from November 8th, which you might not know this, but it is election day. It's true. In the United States of America. You might not have known that, but if you didn't, now you do. Thank goodness, because it's a big day. Everybody's going to be voting. It's going to be incredible. And we've got this November, the midterm elections. And this year, because for the Zaders Facts podcast, we had a couple elections back last fall, but this is our first big election cycle 2022 midterms for the Xander's Facts podcast. So this week, we have got a preview of the 2022 midterms with one month to go. So this is not our final, definite, ultimate midterm preview. This is our preview with one month to go, because we've been talking about a bunch of the issues, abortion, immigration, the economy, gas prices, inflation, which was last week's Xander's Facts flashback, if you want to go take a look at that. But we haven't really talked about the candidates and the races and the big races that matter for control of Congress this year. That's what we're talking about this week on our midterm preview. So we're going to get to that in just a second. But before we do, just wanted to remind y'all that if you like the Zaders Facts podcast, if you think you're going to like all the facts on this week's edition, remember to follow this podcast, the Zaders Facts podcast. Download this episode, episode 77. Rate the podcast and review the podcast. They go on all your socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I'm on all those. Zaders Facts, that is Xander with a Z. And most importantly, remember to tell all your friends. Spread the facts! Zaders Facts podcast. Tell all your friends, spread the facts. And remember to listen to any of our past episodes, our past 76 episodes, if you've missed them. I'm going to be referencing a few on this week's podcast. I just did back when we talked about immigration, which I think was last year. We talked about the gas prices and inflation, the economy. We've talked about abortion on a couple podcasts. Go check out our past episodes. Subscribe to Xander's Weekend Facts, which is our newsletter, which comes out every Sunday morning. It's got the week's top facts. Check it out. And check out the Xander's Facts link tree, which has all the Xander's Facts links that you need. But I wanted to add another link to the Xander's Facts link tree this week because I have a major announcement. I told you about it a couple weeks ago. I said there's going to be a major announcement. I said last week there's going to be a major announcement. This week, and there is because I have possibly, I don't want to overstate this, but possibly the biggest announcement in the history of Xander's Facts, of this podcast, of all the facts. Tell me, tell me. I have a huge announcement about Xander's Facts. We have the Xander's Facts podcast. We have Xander's Weekend Facts. 
Well, now we have Xander's Facts website. Oh. Because I, Xander, am announcing today the launch of xandersfacts.com. That's right. Oh, my gosh. Xander has his own website, xandersfacts.com, which is going to be launching in the next few weeks. Xandersfacts.com is going to be your one-stop shop for all the facts. It is going to have the Xander's Facts podcast where you can listen to it. It is going to have Xander's Weekend Facts. And it is also going to have another thing, which I am also about to announce, because this is another major announcement. You thought it couldn't get any bigger than Xander's Facts website, xandersfacts.com. Well, it can, because I am also announcing the launch of the Xander's Facts merch shop. That's right, the Xander's Facts shop, where you can exclusively, this is going to be the only place where you can get Xander's Facts merchandise. Because if you've wanted a piece of the facts, this is how you can get a piece of the facts, by wearing Xander's Facts on your shirt, on your pants, wherever. I don't judge. You can wear the facts now, wherever, because we are going to be selling Xander's Facts merchandise. It is going to be absolutely incredible, and the shop is going to launch in the next few weeks when XandersFacts.com launches. So I have been working on this for months now, and we are almost set to launch. It is super exciting. XandersFacts.com, XandersFacts merch shop. I'm going to have more details about that as we get closer to the launch. That's going to be in the next few weeks, but oh my gosh, it is going to be amazing. That I can promise you. Sanders Facts website and merch. Congratulations. I'm very excited. So there you go. That's my big announcement. And I hope it appeased you because I thought that it was a huge announcement. Possibly the biggest announcement in the history of podcasting and the history of Sanders Facts. So there you go. That's my big announcement. But now let's turn on to the big topic that we have for the podcast this week. Episode 77, the 2022 midterm elections with one month to go because we're not there yet we're in october it's october 5th when this podcast is coming out we are one month away from election day 2022 and y'all know what that means it is election season full-blown here in the united states for the next month oh my gosh aren't you excited can't you feel it in the air you probably can, because I've actually had to be wearing some long sleeve stuff, because it's gotten cold. But that might not actually be a sign of election season. But it is election season. I promise you that, because it is October, and the midterms are in early November. And we haven't talked about the midterms a lot on this podcast, but it's time we do. We've talked about the issues, as I said. We haven't talked about the actual candidates, the races, the elections. What's up for grabs? these midterms, because you might not know what all is up for election this November. So we're going to talk about that, because election day is just over a month away, but people are already voting. People are voting early. I'm supposed to be getting my absentee ballot in the mail. They haven't sent it yet, which I'm a little irked about, but they need to. And a lot of people are already voting by absentee or in person. Early voting is a thing, and it's going on right now. So we got to talk about this stuff, because you got to know what you're voting for. So this week, we are going to take a look at the state of the race, the key races that are going on across the country with one month to go. This year, 
in the 2022 midterms, there are 35 U.S. Senate seats, 435 U.S. House seats, 36 governorships, and numerous state and local seats that are on the ballot this November. That's a lot of facts. There is a ton of stuff that is going to be on the ballot all over this country next month and right now if you're early voting. So we got to talk about it all. Maybe not all of it because state and local elections are incredibly important and you should make sure that you are voting in them. But there are numerous ones like there are a ton of state and local elections, which are very important and are probably, you know, that's the closest government to you. So that is probably going to impact your life the most. But there's a lot of them. So we're not going to talk about those because that would take days, a day-long podcast, and I don't want to do that. But we are going to be talking about governor's races, which are statewide races. So we're going to talk about those and Congress. Those are the races that we're going to be talking about this week on the podcast. We're going to have a lot of numbers, leans, likelies, toss-ups, safe seats, all that stuff. And by the way, just before I start spitting stuff at you, just to let you know that all this stuff is accurate This is data and information compiled from actual, knowledgeable people. I compiled a list of sources that I use for my analysis on these races. So the data I'm using is from a bunch of sources, including 538, which is a forecast model from Nate Silver and ABC News, Real Clear Politics polling averages, Sabato's Crystal Ball, which is from Dr. Larry Sabato, who's at the University of Virginia Center for Politics, Politico's Forecast 2022, The Economist's Midterm Forecast, and Race Ratings from the Cook Political Report. Some of the best information about elections that you can get is what I'm using to give you this analysis on this podcast. And all this data is from Tuesday, October 4th, the day before this podcast is coming out. So, We are 10 minutes already in this podcast, and we haven't talked about anything that we want to, so let's get into it. Xander's early 2022 midterm elections preview. Let's get to it. We're going to break down the races for Senate, House, and Governor's Mansions. Let's do it. And we're going to first start off with the Senate and the key races that could decide control, because if you didn't know, you probably should, though. The Senate is currently at a 50-50 split. Democrats have 50 seats, Republicans have 50 seats. And Democrats only have the majority because the vice president is the tie-breaking vote, so the vice president gives the Democrats the majority. But it's a 50-50 split, so all eyes have been on the key races which majority could come down to, considering a flip either way means control of the chamber flips. So, let's start off with a general overview first off. There are 35 Senate seats that are up for grabs this November. There are 100 total Senate seats. Each senator has a six-year term, so we elect 33 senators one year, 33 the next year, and then 34 the next year, add up to 100. We've got 35 this year because this is a year where typically 34 senators are up for grabs, but we've got two in Oklahoma because one of their senators is retiring. So we have 35. Out of those 35, 21 of those are currently held by Republicans. 14 of those are currently held by Democrats. So in total, out of those 21, Republicans are currently holding seats up for election in Alaska, Idaho, Utah, North and South Dakotas, Kansas, two in Oklahoma, as I said, Iowa, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Indiana, Kentucky, Alabama, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, North Carolina, South Carolina, and 
Florida. And Democrats are holding seats up for election in Washington, Oregon, California, Nevada, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, New Hampshire, Vermont, New York, Connecticut, Maryland, Georgia, and Hawaii. If you say so. Now, as always, not all of those are going to be pretty competitive. There's going to be a bunch of safe seats where a flip doesn't look likely at all. So for the Republicans, we could probably put into that category Idaho, Utah, the Dakotas, North and South Dakota, Kansas, both the Oklahoma seats, Iowa, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Alabama, South Carolina, Indiana, Kentucky, and Alaska in that category. Although Alaska is interesting because Alaska has this new system that they're using this year. It's a ranked choice voting system. We've talked about ranked choice voting before on this podcast. So you know how it works. You actually rank the candidates instead of just choosing one. And there's also four candidates that are in the general election. So instead of just having a Democrat and a Republican, you have four candidates on the ballot and they could be Republicans, they could be Democrats. There could be more than one Democrat and Republican on the ballot. So that'll be interesting, but Alaska's probably going to stay with a Republican. Incumbent Lisa Murkowski is actually in a tough battle because she has MAGA, MAGA challenger, Kelly Shibaka right now, those are two Republicans who are on the ballot, so it's most likely one of them's going to win. So it's most likely going to be a Republican, but we are not certain which Republican it's going to be. So those are the safe Republican seats. The safe Democrat seats include Hawaii, Washington, Oregon, California, Illinois, Vermont, New York, Connecticut, and Maryland. So those are the safe seats. So now let's get to the seats where we are less certain about the outcome, and ones that could actually decide control of the Senate this year, because that is a hot topic this year, control of the Senate, because it is up for grabs. I will note, though, that before I say this, it is important to note that Republicans do have 29 seats that are not up for election right now. So when you add on their safe seats, that bumps up their total to 45 seats that are basically in the Republican category. Democrats have 36 seats that are not up for election this year. And when you add up their safe seats, you've also got 45 Democratic seats. So that's a level playing field. 45 seats on the Republican side, 45 seats on the Democrat side. Then we've got 10, what we would consider competitive seats. So that's basically 90 seats decided. We've got 10 left. Fact nugget. And we are going to talk about them in some detail. And let's start with the seats that are currently controlled by Republicans. Those would be Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio, North Carolina, and Florida. Democrats are holding on to competitive seats in Nevada, Colorado, Arizona, New Hampshire, and Georgia. But let's start with the Republicans, and let's start in the swamp of Florida and Senator Marco Rubio, little Marco, who is up for re-election. And 538, as I told you, 538's who I'm mostly going to be relying on for this because their dad is pretty good, is giving him an 86% chance of beating Democratic Congresswoman Val Demings, who is the Democratic opponent for this seat. The Economist model gives Rubio a 79% chance of holding the seat. Politico and the Cook Political Report don't rate it as percentages. They just rate it as toss-up, lean, likely safe. You know, we were talking about before, I think, in our redistricting podcast, which was earlier this year. 
but the Cook Political Report and Politico rate the seat as lean Republican, and Sabato's crystal ball from the University of Virginia gives the seat a likely R designation. And Rubio is currently leading the average of polling by about seven points in 538's polling average and four points in the Real Clear Politics polling average. So they have two separate polling averages, and it doesn't really mean that they're using different polls. It's just how they put the polls in differently, because the polls can say the same thing, but 538 may rate a certain poll differently. It may give it, you know, more reliability than Real Clear Politics does or vice versa or whatever. So that's how you get those differences in the polling averages. Good to know. But Real Clear Politics has a four-point advantage for Rubio, seven points at 538. So unless things change, and there is a month left, so I want to say... Nothing is really definitive, except for really the safe seats that I mentioned earlier. But of these competitive districts, nothing's really definitive yet, because we've still got a month to go, and things can change in a month, as we have seen previously in past election cycles. But it looks like, if things stay the same, this seat is going to stay with the Republicans. So that's Florida. Then you move on to North Carolina. The following races are getting more interesting, I can tell you that. North Carolina voted for Trump both times. It's got two Republican senators, but it did vote for Obama back in 08. And it also has a governor who's a Democrat who was reelected in 2020. So he was elected in 2016 and in 2020 when the state voted for Trump. They've also voted in a Democratic governor. It's a fact. This year, however, we're not talking about governor for North Carolina. That's not on the ballot. Senate is. This year, Republican Congressman Ted Budd is facing former Chief Justice of the State Supreme Court, Cherry Beasley, who's a Democrat. Those two are vying to replace retiring Republican Senator Richard Burr. So right now, 538 gives Bud, the Republican, a 69 nice percent chance at retaining the seat, which is actually higher than last month when it was as low as 62%, but it is lower than 81%. That was what Bud had back when the forecast first came out on June 1st. Now, when you take a look at the 538 polling average, Bud's up 3%, and the Real Clear Politics average, he's only up 1.5%. And when you take a look at the Economist model, Bud's given a 63% chance to win, and Politico, Cook Political Report, and the Crystal Ball all rate the race as lean Republican. So basically, the race is closer than Florida, but it does look like the Republicans have the slight edge right now, according to all the models. Things could obviously change, but that's how it looks right now in North Carolina. Now let's go to Ohio, which has become a pretty reliable state for Republicans. Dottie Boy won it with some significant margins for Ohio, the last two presidential races. Except for the fact, though, that Ohio does have one Democratic senator who they did reelect in 2018. And a very close Senate race this year, Republican Senator Rob Portman is retiring, so J.D. Vance, the author of the book Hillbillyology, yes, is facing Democratic Congressman Tim Ryan. Now, Vance has not been the greatest candidate for the Republicans. Ryan, though, may have been the best the Democrats could have hoped for in Ohio, he represented a district that is no longer, I believe, a thing in Ohio because of redistricting, but that represented Eastern Ohio, Youngstown, a very Appalachia rural area. So he's got some blue collar appeal. And there's also the fact that Donnie Boy came up and had a campaign rally with Vance, 
but they scheduled it during an Ohio State football game in the state of Ohio, which I don't know how you don't understand, but that's a pretty big deal, an Ohio State football game in Ohio. So that was a little bit of a blunder. Oops! But right now, 538 has Vance with a 70% chance of winning in Ohio, of course. But interesting, though, the Economist model disagrees because the Economist actually gives Tim Ryan a 51% chance of winning. Just barely, 51%. But they still give him the win right now, which is interesting. And Politico, Cook, and the Crystal Ball all rate the race as lean Republican, while Vance leads by 1.2% in the RCP polling average, Real Clear Politics, and 2.4% in the 538 average. So, one model gives Ryan the win. It's close, but he may still have to make up some ground. Now, he has come, Tim Ryan has come much closer than he was earlier this summer, but it appears, though, he still has some ground to make up. The economist model might be right, all the others might be wrong, but... The others might not be wrong. So if he could continue the trajectory and keep building up momentum and getting better in the polls, then he could come up with a shocking victory and give Ohio two Democratic senators, which would be very surprising considering they're also having a governor's election this year. We're going to get to governor's election this year, but it's pretty clear the Republicans going to win in the governor's election. So that's interesting. Now over to Wisconsin, where Republican Senator Ron Johnson who claimed after he won in 2016 that he would not run for a third term in 2022, is running for a third term in 2022. What? Johnson, in those six years, has gone full-on crazy, full-on MAGA, and conspiracy theorists regarding COVID, the election, all sorts of stuff. And he faces progressive Democrat and current state lieutenant governor Mandela Barnes. As with a lot of these races, and this is going to be the trend, the gap appeared wide at the beginning of the summer, but Barnes was able to virtually tie Johnson last month to the polling average and the 538 forecast. However, there have been several recent polls that have come out in the last few weeks that have given Johnson a slight lead. So he now leads the 538 polling average by 2.6% and the Real Clear Politics average by 3%. So he's given a 67% chance to win by 538, Ron Johnson is and 71% by The Economist. Sabato's crystal ball rates the race as lean Republican, while Cook and Politico rate it as a toss-up. So Johnson may have gotten a big break heading into October, but lots could still happen. And there's also a big governor's race in Wisconsin, which we're going to talk about, which could also have a major impact on this seat. Now, let's go to the last competitive Republican-held seat, which is in the Senate. Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania gives Democrats their best chance at flipping a seat. Because, you know, we've talked about this a bunch on the podcast. Democrats have 50 seats, but a lot of the stuff they want to do, they can't get Republican support, so they want to get rid of the filibuster. They can't do that because they've got two senators who don't want to. So Democrats would also like to hold the chamber. But if so, they'd also like to get two seats. And this is probably their best opportunity at a pickup Pennsylvania, because this seat is currently held by retiring Republican Senator Pat Toomey. So he's not going to be on the ballot, but who is? The Democrats nominated Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, who is known for wearing hoodies and shorts everywhere. And the Republicans nominated Dr. Mehmet Oz. Yes, 
that Dr. Oz from the TV. Because he had his own show. Now, Oz has not had the greatest campaign. You could just say that. He was at one time filming himself inside of a grocery store, which he called Wegner's. Thought I'd do some grocery shopping. I'm at Wegner's. And I, my wife wants some vegetables for crudite. There is no such thing as Wegner's. There's Wegmans and there's Redner's. And it appears he was at a Redner's, but he called it Wegner's, which, you know, did not help. And while he was at the Wegner's, apparently he was complaining about the price of crudite, which I don't know how you appeal to middle-class Pennsylvanians by the prices are high, but complaining about the price of crudite to people who have, they're like, what's crudite? What's that fancy thing? Like, that's not going to help you. So that was another thing. And then on Monday, we also learned that he was a principal investigator at a Columbia University lab where research that he was leading on, I guess, led to the deaths of 329 dogs. Terrible. Which is not good. Which apparently was also the second most controversial news to come out about a Republican Senate candidate on Monday. Which we'll get to in a little bit, because I got some stuff to tell y'all. But back to Pennsylvania. Fetterman has enjoyed pretty much a lead for much of the campaign. 538 gives him a 76% chance of winning. The Economist puts his chances at 89%. And Fetterman is currently leading the 538 polling average by 4.5% and 4.3% on real clear politics. And Politico and Cook rate the race as a toss-up right now while the crystal ball has it as a lean Democratic race. So the race has actually tightened a bit in recent weeks, but it hasn't really looked very competitive recently. Apparently, a lot of Republican money is not going to Pennsylvania, which is not a good sign. Pennsylvania is supposed to be a very competitive state, and they may just be regretting their decision of Dr. Oz. But Fetterman looks like he's winning right now. So that's the Republican-held seats. Now let's go to the seats that are competitive that are held by Democrats, and there are also five of those. So let's start in New Hampshire, where Democratic incumbent Senator Maggie Hassan is facing MAGA Republican Donald Boldick. And Democrats had actually worried a bunch about this seat if Republicans had nominated popular Republican Governor Chris Sununu he decided against the run. He's running for re-election for governor, which he's probably going to win, by the way. So given that, it looks like Hassan's going to hold on to the seat. 538 gives her an 86% chance of winning. The Economist pegs her chances at 95%. And Hassan leads the 538 polling average by over 7 points and the RCP average by 9 points. So Politico, Cook, and the Crystal Ball all have it as a lead Democratic seat. It looks like it's going to stay with the Democrats for now for now, New Hampshire. But now going out west to Colorado, incumbent Democratic Senator Michael Bennett is facing Joe Odea, who is a CEO of a Colorado construction company. That's his Republican opponent. And like Hassan in New Hampshire, it looks like Bennett is probably going to win re-election. 538 gives him a 92% chance of victory. The Economist pits his number at 96%. And the RCP polling average, Bennett leads by 9 points and by 10 points in the 538 average. So the race could get closer, but like New Hampshire, it looks like Bennett's going to cruise to re-election. Of course, there's a month to go. 
as I'm going to keep saying, as I've said, as I'm going to keep saying. Now let's go to another Four Corners state, Arizona. Arizona's pretty interesting this year. They've got incumbent Democratic Senator and astronaut Mark Kelly, who is seeking a full term for the seat that he won in a special election two years ago. So he's looking for a full six-year term after he won in 2020. Kelly is facing Republican Blake Masters, who is a venture capitalist who has been fully embraced by the one and only Donnie Boy. That is a state that now has two Democratic senators after a historically leaning Republican. That's John McCain's state. But Kelly holds the clear advantage at the moment. 538 gives Kelly an 83% chance of winning. The Economist puts his chances at 92%. And the race leans Democrat at the UVA Crystal Ball, Politico, and Cook, with Kelly leading in the RCP polling average by four points and six points of the 538 average. So if there is a nationwide shift to the right in the next month, Masters could stand a chance, but it doesn't look likely at the moment. There's also a big governor's race in Arizona that we're also going to talk about in a little bit, which could, you know, potentially alter these results. Spitting the truth. Over to a much closer race in Nevada, incumbent Democratic Senator Catherine Cortez Masto is currently struggling against former state attorney general Adam Laxalt. So Cortez Masto is only leading the 538 polling average by 0.3% and is actually trailing in the Real Clear Politics average by 2%. So The Economist actually gives Laxalt a 55% chance of winning. 538 does give Cortez Masto the slight edge at 51%, but that is much lower than the 63% she had last month. Now, the race in Nevada has definitely tightened, and some of that is likely having to do with the fact there have been a bunch of news articles about it recently. The Democrats worry Latino voters could not show up next month or vote for the Republicans. Democrats rely on Latino voters, especially in Nevada. That could be a big issue for them. And Politico, Cook, and the crystal ball all rate this race as a toss-up. And right now, we're seeing Laxalt might win, Cortez Masto might win. So it's really anybody's guess who could win with one month to go. That is going to be when Nevada, that's a seat Democrats have got to hold if they want to keep the Senate. They can keep the Senate without it. They just have to flip a Republican seat. Pennsylvania would probably be the most likely, but they've got to keep Nevada, especially if they want to get to 52 Democratic senators. Now, the final one. It is time to take a look at Georgia. Yikes! I'm sorry, but this is my favorite race, and you're going to see why. So, the state voted for a Democrat for president in 2020 for the first time since 1992. And then in January, one day before the insurrection, mind you, Janu January 5th, 2021, elected two Democrats to the Senate to give Democrats control of the chamber. Remember that. Donnie Boy was not happy about Georgia after that because he went to Georgia days before that election, the runoff election, in January, and it did not turn out well for him. So one of those Democrats who was up for election in 2020 is now back up for re-election this year for a full six-year term, and that is Democratic Senator Reverend Raphael Warnock who is the senior pastor of Atlanta's Ebenezer Baptist Church, which if you didn't know, that was the church where Martin Luther King Jr. was co-pastor. He is facing former football player and Heisman Trophy winner, mind you, 
at the University of Georgia, Herschel Walker. Your boy. That is who the Republicans picked. Now, Walker has said some pretty interesting things on the campaign trail. If you haven't heard them, you might want to listen to the clips I'm about to play. And even if you have, you should probably listen again because there's something. But let's start with this one. This is from the Fox machine when Walker was on there. He was asked in the aftermath of the Uvalde school shooting, so this was earlier this summer, how we should prevent school shootings. This is what he said. See, there is a person wielding that weapon. You know, Cain, Kia, Abel, you know, and, uh, you know, and that's the problem that we have. And I said, what we need to do is look into how we can stop those things. You know, he talked about doing a disinformation. What about getting a department that can look at young men that's looking at uh, women that's looking at uh, just social media? What about doing that, looking into things like that, and we can stop that that way? You know, I've always wondered, why don't we do that? Why don't we have a department of young men looking at women? Look at that social media. Because if we had that, wouldn't all of the gun violence be gone? So that's what he said. Here's some more of the dribble that has come out of Herschel's mouth. We, in America, have some of the cleanest air and cleanest water of anybody in the world. So what we do is we're going to put from the Green New Deal millions or billions of dollars cleaning our good air up. So all of a sudden, China and India ain't putting nothing in there cleaning that situation up. So all that bad air is still there. But since we don't control the air, our good air decided to float over to China, bad air. So when China gets our good air, that bad air got to move. So it moves over to our good air space. And now we got to clean that back up. You know, all that would make sense, except for the fact that it was rated by multiple fact-checkers as just plain false. So, Herschel. But that, you may have thought that was the worst of Herschel. Oh, please. Herschel's a good guy. He just says some crazy stuff sometime. Well, all those people, first off, you're going to call Joe Biden senile, but then you're going to turn around and vote for Herschel Walker. Okay. But many have speculated that Walker's clearly suffering from some kind of brain injury because, you know, he played football, and the big issue with football the last few days has been brain injuries. That may have been something. Probably isn't out of the question. And that has not been the craziest thing that has gone on in the last few days because over the summer, we found that Walker has also been found of fathering three children that he had not previously acknowledged publicly. So that might be a little bit of an issue. It hasn't, you know, really been because he's still been doing well in the race. And then we learned something else about Walker on Monday. The Daily Beast reported that Walker, who has touted his pro-life abortion position throughout the campaign, he is anti-abortion. He is pro-life. Yes. Well, in 2009, Walker apparently paid for an abortion for his girlfriend. So, you know, that wasn't that good of an issue. Walker then denied the report when he went on the Fox machine on Monday night. But his son, Christian, or we think he's his son. Honestly, I'm very confused with all that thing. But we think he's his son, his eldest son, Christian Walker, who appeared to support his father's campaign. He 
promoted his father's campaign on Instagram and Twitter and social media and all that stuff. He went on Twitter Monday night, and he apparently had some stuff to say about the report. So he tweeted, quote, Every family member of Herschel Walker asked him not to run for office because we all knew some of his past, every single one. He decided to give us the middle finger and air out all of his dirty laundry in public while simultaneously lying about it. I'm done, unquote. He continued with another tweet, quote, I know my mom and I would really appreciate if my father, Herschel Walker, stopped lying and making a mockery of us. You're not a, quote, family man, unquote, when you left us to bang a bunch of women, threatened to kill us, and had us move over six times in six months running from your violence. I don't care about someone who has a bad past and takes accountability, but how dare you lie and act as though you're some moral Christian upright man. You've lived a life of destroying other people's lives. How dare you, unquote. So, story time! There you go. And by the way, you may be saying, oh, this kid is just some crazy liberal, blah, blah, blah. Go on his Twitter feed, because the tweet before that was literally a praise of your boy Ron Claus, who we're going to talk about, actually, because he's up for re-election. Ron Claus, one of the greats. He loves him. Talks about him. Also, the pinned tweet on his account is him promoting his podcast, which, I mean, I don't know why he'd listen. Listen to his inner facts. But he promotes his, quote, anti-woke podcast, which is called Uncancelable Anti-Woke. So, you know, I kind of have to think that he's not a raging liberal Gen Zer, but also, you know. So, you know, all that stuff came out on Monday. But don't fear, the Republican Party has taken the extreme length of supporting Herschel Walker. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Senate Republican Campaign Chair Rick Scott, and Donnie Boy have all stood by their guy, Herschel, because if you know anything about people who vote for Republicans, they don't care about your scandals because I don't know if you remember this, but October 2016, Donnie Boy, the video of him, where he was in the van or the bus, I guess, talking about, you know, he was a star, he could do it. Please. All that stuff, that locker room talk, he won the election. So why would Herschel have to drop out? The voters are still going to vote for him because at least he's not a crazy liberal. I don't care if that man murdered a child. He is not a Democrat, and I will vote for him. That's what people saying. By the way, if he paid for an abortion, I thought Republicans thought abortion was murder. So, apparently this man assisted, he assisted, he paid for, in the murder. But, no, we're not hearing about that. And apparently he denied it. I don't know, but there's been some stuff that has come out about Herschel. So just remember, even if you don't live in Georgia, so you don't have the privilege of having Herschel Walker's name on your ballot, just remember that you might be voting for a party that still promotes and stands by this guy, just to let you know. So there's that. There's also the race. I just talked about all that stuff. That was pretty interesting. But there's also the race that's going on. 538 currently gives the incumbent Raphael Warnock, as I said, a 54% chance of winning. Warnock's giving a 67% chance by The Economist, but Warnock's lead in the 538 polling average is only 1.2%. 
and the real clear politics average, it's just 0.7%. So the race is rated as a toss-up by Cook, Politico, and the Crystal Ball. So despite the mental and apparently human deficiencies of Mr. Football Player Walker, the race is still very close with the months ago because, you know, Georgia. So that's all that was going on there. So those are the top 10 most competitive Senate races this year. The ones that are actually going to decide control of the Senate. I know I had fun with Herschel, but that race, Georgia, is huge in deciding control of the Senate this year, along with Pennsylvania, Nevada, Arizona, and Wisconsin. But also keep an eye on Ohio and North Carolina. Those are a bunch of the big races that are going on. And of course, even if you don't live in a state with a competitive Senate seat, you should still vote. And we're going to cover these Senate races again in a future podcast closer to Election Day. So we'll, you know, hopefully know more about the races. We can make some more predictions. But that's what we know for now. At this point, 538 gives the Democrats a 67% chance of holding the Senate. And The Economist predicts that the Democrats are going to win the Senate with 51 seats. But still, a lot can happen and a lot can change before Election Day. That's the outlook on the Senate, though, as we stand one month before the results are going to be known. These are facts. So I kind of split the podcast up into three parts here for our big topic. Part one was the Senate. We're done with part one. Now over to part two, which is the House. Now, I know what you're thinking. 435 House seats. They're all up for grabs, as they are every two years. Now, that's a lot more than 35 for the Senate. So we're going to take a more generalized look at the House. Right now, though, Democrats are favored to keep the Senate, but Republicans are favored to keep the House. 538 currently gives the Republicans a 69 nice percent chance to control the House after next month's elections which is about where that number has been for the last few weeks, but certainly lower than it was earlier this summer. Back in from June until late July, it was about 85%, so it has definitely gone down since then. And additionally, some more numbers and data to throw at you. I know I've been throwing a lot at you. But 538 projects as of Tuesday that Republicans will control 225 seats to Democrats, 210. That's a lot of numbers. But earlier in June and July, as I said, Democrats were projected to have less than 200 seats. So they have definitely made some gains in the last few weeks and months. Now, Republicans are also projected to win the overall popular vote, according to 538, by 2.4%, which is less than the 6% that the GOP had earlier in the summer. So that's basically what 538 is saying about the overall race for the House of Representatives. But we can move over to another projection model, because just looking at one is like, well, you're just looking at one. Another, the Economist model, also predicts a Republican flip of the House of Representatives. Currently, as of Tuesday, the Economist gives Republicans a 66% chance of winning the House, projecting that they will win 221 seats to Democrats 214, which is a little closer than what 538 is projecting. And you need 218 seats to control the House. So that's very close. That's just a flip of a few seats. But that's still lower than the 90% that Republicans had in that model earlier this summer. And what's more interesting is what the economist predicts the share of the vote to be. 
because 538 projects that Republicans will have the popular vote by 2.4%. But The Economist projects that Democrats are actually predicted to get 50.1% of the popular vote. So actually a majority of the popular vote. And despite that, they would still lose the House. And obviously that's due to districting, gerrymandering, all that stuff. So that's what The Economist is saying. Politico also projects that Republicans are likely to take the House. And on the Real Clear Politics polling average for the generic ballot, Republicans only lead by 1%. So the race overall for the House has gotten a lot tighter. It's not as tight as it could be, but it has gotten a lot tighter than it was earlier in the summer. And that, of course, has been the case with races all over the country, no matter whether it's been the House, the Senate, or state and local elections. But there are signs, though, that in October, Democratic momentum may be waning or potentially somewhat offset by more Republican enthusiasm as we actually get closer to voting, closer to early voting, which some people are doing, and Election Day, which a lot of people vote on. Whether this is just a bump in the road for Democrats and the polling actually begins to improve again, whether it stays stagnant, the polling does, or whether it gets better for Republicans is a big question right now. And we don't know what's going to happen in the next few weeks. So that's going to be interesting. But as of now, that's where it stands. But when you actually go back to the House, you don't really have to analyze all 435 districts to actually determine who's going to get control of the chamber. Not actually hyper-analyzing all 435 of them individually. Thanks, goodness. But what we can do is put them into categories, safe seats, likely seats, lean seats, toss-ups, all that stuff. So we can do that, and that'll probably help us determine, for now, of course, this is not election day, but right now, who has the advantage? So we can start off by basically saying that this is the first year of a new redistricting cycle, which we talked about in a previous podcast, I believe it's episode 50, that was back at the beginning of the year, which you should all go listen to. But all the states have redistricted. There's new districts for states that have been allocated two House seats or more. So what that has led to is not as many competitive districts, more safe Republican seats and more safe Democratic seats. So 538 forecasts that there are 194 House seats that are safe Republican seats and Democrats have 167 safe seats. So those already add up to 361 seats, which is already not even giving us 100 competitive seats, already less than that. And then when we add in races where one candidate has a 75% chance or more of winning under the likely category, that's the likely category, that number bumps up to 408. So that leaves us with only 27 competitive districts at the moment, according to 538. Now, with the Economist model, they've given Democrats 160 safe seats and Republicans 184 safe seats. So that adds up to 344. You add in very likely seats, according to the Economist, with one candidate having an 85% or more chance of winning. That number then goes up to 391. So we get more competitive districts with the Economist at 44. Although it's four win chances for one candidate are actually different because 85% for 538, 75% for The Economist. So they are 
different in that capacity. But looking at the other sites, Politico gives us 69 nice districts that are toss-ups or leans, so basically competitive districts. And the Cook Political Report has 30 toss-up districts and 59 districts that are either toss-ups or leans, Democrat or Republican. So just finding the average of competitive districts out of all those models and forecasts, let's say that there's about 49, give or take a bunch, competitive House elections this year. It's the truth. Which is lower than in past years, which is not a good thing for actual democracy. But, you know, that's what we're dealing with right now. So we don't need to really take a look at the non-competitive districts because we know what's going to happen with those. But we can take a look at the most competitive House races that are out there. Just a list of the districts and incumbents. I'm not going to go full on into them because there's still a bunch. But we can go by the 538 election ratings for these House districts. That's what I'm going to do. So 538 puts 13 districts or races in the toss-up category, where no candidate has a chance of victory over 60%. So these are basically the races that if the House race overall is really close, these are the races that can ultimately decide control of the House and the ones to watch for right now to see what trends are and to watch on election night to see what might happen. Cool facts, bro. So. These races are New Mexico's 2nd District, that has a Republican incumbent, Oregon's 5th District, no incumbent, Iowa's 3rd District, Democratic incumbent, Pennsylvania's 2nd District, Democratic incumbent, Arizona's 2nd, Democratic incumbent, Alaska's at-large district with a Democratic incumbent, which I'll actually get to in a second because that's interesting, New York's 19th with no incumbent, Virginia's 2nd with a Democratic incumbent, New York's 22nd district with no incumbent, California's 22nd district with a Republican incumbent, Texas's 15th district with no incumbent, Kansas's 3rd district with a Democratic incumbent, and California's 27th district with a Republican incumbent. So those are the 13 seats that are basically toss-ups right now. And I wanted to talk about Alaska because Alaska had a special election for their House seat a couple weeks ago. And that's when we actually got to see, remember I was talking about the Alaska Senate election, how that works. There's four candidates on the ballot, ranked choice, so you rank them one through four. That's what they did for the House race. Two Republicans, one Democrat, and one independent or other party, I guess, in that race, in the House special election race, including Sarah Palin, who was running as a Republican in that House special election race. And the Democrat won because of ranked choice voting, because a bunch of people who voted for one of the Republicans did not vote for the other Republican as their second choice. They put the Democrat as their second choice. And you can actually leave it blank, but a bunch of people put the Democrat as number two. And so that's how Alaska has a Democrat as the holder of their House seat right now. And Mary Patola, who is the Democrat who's holding that seat, is going to be the incumbent. So, you know, that race obviously would not have been a toss-up if a Republican had won that special election. But now it is, and it's a Democratic-held seat. So that's going to be really interesting to watch at election night. And of course, Alaska polls close at like 11 midnight Eastern, so 
we're probably not going to learn about what happens in Alaska that night because we actually didn't learn until days after the polls closed for the special election, who won the special election. So we may not know for a while in Alaska because that counting is obviously different and interesting. But don't call fraud on that. That's not fraud. That's just how it works in Alaska, which is interesting. And maybe we should start doing that elsewhere here in the United States. That's interesting. So those are the 13 toss-up seats. Too many facts. These seats that right now, if election night was tonight, would be the most important House seats. And you've also got five seats that lean Republican. In those districts, 538's given the Republican a 60 to 75% chance of winning. So those are California's 45th district, New York's 1st district, North Carolina's 13th district, Colorado's 8th district, and New Jersey's 7th district. That includes one Republican incumbent, one Democratic incumbent, and three open seats of those five seats. So then you've got nine lean Democratic seats, those being Pennsylvania's 8th district, Nevada's 3rd, New York's 3rd, Oregon's 6th, Michigan's 3rd, New York's 18th, Illinois' 17th, Maine's 2nd, and Maryland's 6th. Five Democratic incumbents in those, four of those being open seats with no incumbent. So the rest of the 408 seats are races where one candidate has, according to 538, a greater than 75% chance of winning the seat. So for some of those, those may change. I mean, they could. Those are rated as likely with a 75 to 95% chance of winning for one candidate. There are 47 seats of those. So those could become competitive. But out of those 408, we likely know the results of those 408 seats out of 435. So that comes down to a very few number of districts, just 27. So now out of the 408, Republicans have the advantage, according to 538, in 209 of those seats, Democrats have the advantage in 199. So that is still very close. So in order to get to the magic number, which is 218, you need 218 seats to give your party the majority of the House. Republicans would only need to win nine of those seats that are rated as lean Republican or toss-up. So they could win the five lean Republican seats, and they'd also need to win four toss-up seats. Meanwhile, Democrats would need to win 19 of those seats to remain in control of the House. So they would need to win all nine of the lean Democratic seats and then 10 of the 13 toss-up seats. So that's basically, according to the 538 model, that's where things stand. And obviously those numbers are going to change because that's not election day. Those numbers are going to change as we get closer to election day. But right now, that's where things stand. So overall in the House, Republicans hold the advantage, but it's certainly not out of the question that Democrats retain control. Just like how Democrats hold the advantage for the Senate right now, but that doesn't mean that Republicans don't have a chance at taking control of the Senate. That's how it works. Xander's Facts. That's part two. Part three, our final part of the podcast. Get ready. Our governor's gubernatorial races. Let's get to the governor's races because they're obviously important because you don't want anyone who's going to try and decertify the results of a state's election. You know, that would be 
kind of bad, but midterm election years always feature the most gubernatorial elections. There are 36 governorships that are up for election this year. So that means that there are only 14 governorships that are not up for election this year. That's six Democrats and eight Republicans. 36 governorships that are up for election this year. So before this year's elections, right now, we've got 28 Republican governors, 22 Democratic governors. This year, there are 20 Republican governors up for election, 16 Democratic governorships are on the ballot this year. And both parties do have a bunch of governorships out of those 20 and 16 on the ballot that look like they're probably not going to change hands. Republicans hold the governorship in Alabama, Arkansas, Iowa, Idaho, Nebraska, New Hampshire, Ohio, South Dakota, South Carolina, Tennessee, Vermont, and Wyoming. And those don't look like they're going to change hands this year. Gash facts. And on the Democratic side, you've got California, Colorado, Hawaii, Illinois, New York, and Rhode Island, which all appear as safe seats for the Democrats. So now, let's take a look at the more competitive races and start with the seats that Republicans hold. And those include Massachusetts and Maryland. Pretty blue states, but moderate Republican governors are governors there. Those are up for election this year. And Republicans are almost assuredly going to lose those because those two moderate governors that I was talking about, Charlie Baker, a moderate Republican in Massachusetts, Larry Hogan, a moderate Republican in Maryland, they are term limited. They cannot run again. So they are not running. So the Republicans apparently thought that in solidly blue states, it would be a good idea to nominate MAGA Republicans as governors. Oof. That is not a good idea at all. The polling, all the forecasts are basically showing that those are certain flips to the Democrats. Now, Republicans also hold Alaska, Florida, Oklahoma, and Texas, which are all rated as likely Republican by the Cook Political Report. Alaska's results, as I said, could be interesting, but the Republicans probably going to win. Democrats in Florida didn't nominate the strongest candidate in Congressman and former Republican governor of the state, Charlie Chris, against you-know-who, Ronald, Ronald McDonald, DeSantis, DeSantis Claus, who is leading in the 538 polling average by nine points and is probably going to win re-election and looks set to use that re-election as a springboard for a 2024 presidential run, which, oh boy. Democrat Joy Hoffmeister, though, has been gaining some ground recently against incumbent Republican Governor Kevin Stitt in Oklahoma, of all places, but that state's probably going to stay reliably red, even though it's put as likely Republican, it's going to go Republican. And then there's Texas, where Republican Governor Greg Abbott is going up against former Congressman Beto O'Rourke, who, of course, ran against Ted Cruz for the Senate in 2018, came within about two points. That doesn't look like it's going to happen this time. Texas has been trending blue in recent elections, but this does not look like the year it's going to flip. Abbott leads in the 538 polling average by over 10 points and 8 points in the real clear politics average. Texas should stay red, barring a late surge from Beto, which you never know. Things could change, but right now, Texas is looking red. You've also got Georgia, which Cook Political Report rates as lean Republican. There you've got a 2018 rematch in this race, which features incumbent Republican Governor Brian Kemp 
and Democratic nominee Stacey Abrams. That race was extremely close in 2018, but the polls are showing that there's going to be a wider margin in 2022. 538 gives Kemp, the Republican incumbent, an 87% chance to win and a six-point advantage in the polling average, and that race hasn't changed much over the summer. So that's in Georgia. And then you've also got Arizona, which is rated as a toss-up by the Cook Political Report and by Politico. So Arizona's Republican governor, Doug Ducey, is term-limited, and he cannot run. So Republicans have nominated former local news host and MAGA Republican Carrie Lake, while the Democrats have nominated State Secretary of State Katie Hobbs. And this race is extremely close. Remember, we also have the Senate race going on. But 538 gives Hobbs just a 52% chance to win the state. That number has dropped from 62% back in mid-September, and the two are virtually tied in the polling average. Multiple polls are showing victories for both sides. We've got polls showing victories for Lake, polls showing victories for Hobbs. So that election is truly a toss-up at the moment, and it's also interesting. You've got that Senate election there to see how many split votes there are, if there are any, which could be interesting in Arizona. Is it actually? And so those are the seats that are held by Republicans. Now let's go to the seats currently held by Democrats. We've got Connecticut, Michigan, Minnesota, and Pennsylvania, which the Cook Political Report rates as likely Democratic. Connecticut and Minnesota are basically givens. But in Michigan, Michigan's kind of surprising because Michigan has been seen as a very close state that voted for Trump in 2016, 2020 for Biden. But Democratic governor, incumbent Democratic governor Gretchen Whitmer is currently ahead of her Republican MAGA opponent, Tudor Dixon, by 12 points in the 538 polling average in Michigan, which is somewhat surprising. So it looks like she's kind of cruising to re-election right now. Obviously, things could change, but that's the way it looks a month out. And you've also got Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, we talked about the Senate race there, which is probably going to have some impact on this race. And in the governor's race, Democratic Governor Tom Wolf is term limited. So Democrats nominated State Attorney General Josh Shapiro against Republican nominee Doug Mastriano, who has gone like full on off the deep end, crazy MAGA boy. So Shapiro in the 538 polling average currently holds a 10 point lead, which is much larger when you compare it to Fetterman's lead in the Senate poll. You've also got John Fetterman, a lot of people are saying, is a strong candidate for Pennsylvania. We'll see if that holds out. He's facing Dr. Oz, as you remember. You Dems could win Pennsylvania, although there is still some time for Republicans to get back in the race. Pennsylvania, another one of those states, 2016 Trump, 2020 Biden. So it's kind of interesting how Democrats are really performing well in Michigan and Pennsylvania this year. Now, two seats that lean Democratic, according to the Cook Political Report, those are Maine and New Mexico. In Maine, you've got incumbent Democratic Governor Janet Mills, who currently leads Republican challenger Paul LePage by almost 10 points in the 538 polling average, while incumbent Democratic Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham in New Mexico currently has a seven-point lead over Republican challenger Mark Ronchetti in the 538 polling average. That's New Mexico. So those are the two lean Democratic seats. Now, according to the Cook Political Report, you've got four seats that are rated as toss-ups that are currently controlled by Democrats, and these are our last four 
seats of the podcast. So get excited, y'all. Are we done yet? Let's start in Kansas, though. Kansas, if you didn't know, has a Democratic governor. Governor Laura Kelly picked up a surprise win in 2018, but she was also facing a just an awful Republican candidate. Even for Kansas standards, they were like, uh-uh. So they voted in Democrat Laura Kelly. She's also in a state, however, that just had a major referendum that went in favor of abortion rights a couple weeks ago. But you've got to remember, it's still Kansas. But Kelly does have incumbency advantage, and 538 puts her chances at 65% to win, which has been boosted considerably over the past month. That's against Republican Derek Schmidt. And while polling has been a little sporadic in this race, she maintains a two-point lead in the 538 average. Remember, it's Kansas, but she's the incumbent, so I would give Laura Kelly a pretty good chance to win in Kansas once again. But now let's move over to kind of a surprise. Kansas, of course, is probably a surprise you're like Democratic governor. But Oregon, Oregon you would think is a pretty reliably Democratic state, and it is. They're going to have a Senate election this year, which is going to fly by for the Democrat. He's going to win easily. But the governor's race is going to be pretty close. Oregon's Democratic governor, Kate Brown, is term limited, so she cannot run. So Democrats are nominating former state House Speaker Tina Kotick, and Republicans are nominating former state House Minority Leader Christine Drazen. And also, you've got a third candidate in the mix, a third major candidate in the mix, because former conservative Democrat State Senator Betsy Johnson is running as an independent which could provide an interesting outcome because right now, 538 is showing Kotick with only a 53% chance of winning and recent polls have even put Drazen ahead. And that's because Johnson, the independent, is getting a large share of the vote for a third party, basically like 15 or so, 20% of the vote, which is major for a third candidate in a race like this. So the result is actually going to be very interesting. That's going to be an interesting race to watch in Oregon. Another fact! And then you've got Nevada, which, as I explained earlier, has become a worrying sign for Democrats. Incumbent Democratic Governor Steve Sisolak is facing Republican Sheriff of Clark County, which is Las Vegas, Joe Lombardo. Lombardo has kept this race extremely close. Sisolak is only up by one point in the 538 polling average, and there have been some recent polls that show Lombardo is winning the race. Sisolak has a 56% chance of victory, according to 538. So you've also got that Senate race there. So it's probably likely that whatever the result of the Senate election is, the governor's result is probably going to have a similar result. Of course, you've got ticket splitters who could vote for a Democrat than a Republican, but we'll see. Nevada is going to be really interesting, and both of those races look extremely tight at the moment. So now let's go to our final race for our governors and for the podcast, the governor's race in Wisconsin, because incumbent Democratic Governor Tony Evers was able to defeat former Republican Governor Scott Walker in 2018. And in 2022, he faces another tough test. Evers faces Republican nominee Tim Michaels, who has never served in political office, but has gotten the grand all endorsement of one Donnie Boy. Now, the 538 polling average shows Evers with a less than two-point lead. He's been given a 60% chance of re-election by 538, 
which is down from nearly 80% back in August. So it looks to be another close race in Wisconsin. But right now, unlike last time, the incumbent was Scott Walker. Evers won. Right now, Evers is the incumbent, and the incumbent appears to have the edge as of now. Things could change. So that is a look at the biggest gubernatorial races also taking place this year as well. And that doesn't even include other statewide offices, lieutenant governor, secretary of state, attorney general, and others, which are also very important and whose races you should vote in if they're on the ballot. These races may also decide whether or not things like abortion restrictions are put in place in states you may live, like Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and others. That's why they're extremely important. And not to mention local races, which are also going to be taking place and may even have a bigger impact on your day-to-day life. That's your local government. So you might want to be voting in this. And all of these. So there you go. Xander's Facts Part 3 is complete. And now I just got to remind y'all that we are still one month away, over 30 days from Election Day 2022. That means a lot of things can change. And that's partially why I tried not to make any predictions on any of the races or the midterms overall, just basically showing I tried to do what the status of the races are right now. However, that does not mean I may end up making some predictions as we get closer to Election Day, because as I kind of alluded to earlier, we're going to be having another podcast the first week of November, which is actually the week before Election Day, with our final midterm preview. And there, hopefully I'm going to be making some fact-filled predictions on the races. Whether or not those are based on some algorithm or system that I'm able to develop, we'll see. We'll see if I can try and figure that out. But uh, I'll work on that. But we'll get to that. All of that, the ultimate midterm elections preview in a future podcast episode at the beginning of next month. I believe it is November 2nd that podcast will drop, so check that out. Seamless bug. But for now, we can only make guesses based off what we know a month before the vote. So for now, Democrats look likely to retain the Senate, Republicans look likely to take control of House, and of course there are many other races that you should be keeping track of this year. And of course the overall trends nationwide can still change. We've seen this in past elections and we've already seen it this year. Back in the spring, remember that? Republicans looked well on their way to sweeping both chambers of Congress and having a spectacular election year. Republicans were thinking, oh my gosh, we are going to win. We are going to halt the Biden Sleepy Joe agenda. And they had the issues that voters cared about. They were on the voters' side. Biden's approval was, of course, very low. And the major issues with the electorate, they, you know, the economy, mainly inflation and gas prices, which you all know about, though, since you listen to this podcast where I break down those issues, and I don't want to spoil it for you, but, like, I don't know why you'd be beaming Sleepy Joe for this. If you actually thought and looked at facts, but, you know, you can go listen to that podcast. Bro, too! But back in the spring, people sided with the Republicans on those issues, which were the major issues. Biden's approval was low, and Democrats were having a tough time. Then, over the summer, The conservatives on the Supreme Court decided to overturn Roe v. Wade. The economy has gotten marginally better. Gas prices have gone down. Inflation has stopped going up, rising. There's still major inflation, 
but the inflation numbers are not going up and up and up by the month. They've kind of stagnated recently, and Biden's approval has gotten better. It's gotten still pretty low, but it's gotten better. So Democrats have gotten big momentum boosts over the summer. That's allowed them to get back into these close races. However, as we get into October, that momentum may be slowing. Republicans may be able to be gaining back some of their losses from the summer, or at least stop some of the bleeding. Whether that plays out, though, will remain to be seen over the next few weeks. We are officially getting into crunch time. But also, we're trying to look to the future. Looking to the past might be something we're trying to do. But what we're seeing also means that what we've seen in the past may not be that indicative of the future. Back in last fall's elections, Republicans did very well in the Virginia and New Jersey statewide races. But this year, in special elections, including in Alaska, the Kansas abortion race, other races we've had this year, Democrats have, a lot of the time, overperformed expectations in special elections this year. So, you know, we want to look at the past, but things can change. So for now, that's how the midterms look with one month to go until Election Day. We're in crunch time, as I said. It is getting real. One month to go until we will have our next big congressional and statewide elections in the United States of America. America! So, you might be asking, Xander, I don't know how to vote. How do I vote? Well, I will tell you, because you might be planning to vote in person on Election Day, and that's fine and dandy, you can do that. But if you want to, or you can't get to the polls on Tuesday, November 8th, which was when Election Day is, you can also vote early, either in person or through a mail-in ballot, depending on which state you live in. So to find out what your options are to vote early, or if you still need to register to vote in this year's election, which you can still do, or if you need to figure out your polling place for November 8th, if you're going to go in person and vote, you can visit either vote.org or iwillvote.com. There, you can figure out those details. And those links are also going to be in this episode's description. Click them if you've got questions. Check them out. They've got your answers for how you should vote. So there you go. That's the state of the midterms for now. One month to go. There's your facts. Xander's facts. And by the way, before I even wrap up the podcast, that's not even the only election we're going to be talking about in the near future. Because if you haven't heard, Sunday in Brazil, voters went to the polls for the first round of the presidential election. There's going to be a second round later this month, and we're going to talk about it on this podcast. We are going to talk about the Brazilian presidential election on this podcast. We've talked about France. We've talked about Germany. Now we're going to talk about Brazil, and it's going to be pretty interesting coming up later this month on the podcast, so stay tuned for that. But that's basically all the facts I got for you on episode 77 of the Zaders Facts Podcast, another long but very fact-filled edition of the Zaders Facts Podcast. Thank you all for listening, and remember, if you liked all the facts that I had on this week's edition of the podcast, remember to follow this podcast, the Zaders Facts Podcast. Download this episode, episode 77, rate and review the podcast, then go on all your socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Sanders Facts, that's Sanders with a Z, and most importantly, remember to tell all your friends, spread the facts!
Xander's Facts Podcast. Tell all your friends. Tell all your friends about the big Xander's Facts announcement that we had at the beginning of the podcast. Xander'sFacts.com, which is going to have the Xander's Facts merch shop. I am super excited. We are going to be launching that in the next few weeks, and I cannot wait. It is going to be awesome. I encourage you, I implore you to get excited and spread the facts by telling everyone to buy the facts at ZadersFacts.com when it launches in the next few weeks. Get excited. But also, remember to check out Zader's Weekend Facts, our weekly newsletter on Substack, which is also linked in this episode's description. It's free every Sunday morning. You can get it in your email inbox. It's got the week's top facts. Do that. Check out Zader's Facts on YouTube. As I said last week, our YouTube videos are going through a new transformation. They're going to look nice, even prettier than they were before, which was probably impossible, but I made it somehow, some way. That's happening over at the YouTube channel, which you can check out this episode on the Zaders Facts YouTube channel and all the Zaders Facts links on the Zaders Facts link tree. So that's episode 77 of the podcast. Next week is episode 78. And next week, I know what we're talking about because I'm recording this on Tuesday night. Tuesday night, TNT is having an NBA preseason doubleheader air on their network. Next week, we are doing our annual NBA season preview. The NBA is back, and you know what that means. The one and only, everyone's favorite, NBA analyst, Hill Billy, is joining me on the podcast next week to preview the upcoming NBA season, which begins two weeks from Tuesday night this week. So less than two weeks now when this podcast comes out, Oh my gosh, we're going to have fun. We're going to be talking about basketball next time on the Xander's Facts Podcast. But for episode 77, that is it. That is a wrap on episode 77 of the Xander's Facts Podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you all with episode 78 next week.